Huye. Huye. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Knicks take advantage of no Jimmy Butler to even up their series one game apiece in the Eastern Conference semifinals. Jalen Brunson has himself a heck of a ball game. Over in the West, the old man, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis hold off the Golden State Warriors to win game one of that Western Conference semifinal series. These are going to be two phenomenal series. And as good as the NBA playoffs have been, as great as they've been so far, first-round action now, conference semifinals, I think we're going to have really great semi, uh, sorry, conference final matchups. I worry that the finals is going to be a dud. Like we're getting all this great playoff basketball, and then at the end it's just going to... Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your big, bald, and beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. I'm joined inside the EVCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette by Dawson Iserlow, the producer extraordinaire. Got a good show lined up for you today. Only two guests. Back into the show. <clears throat> Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, will join us to talk all things Vermilion and White. That'll be at 8 o'clock. And then at 8.30, after a few weeks off, Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour podcast will be joining us to recap the Saints draft. So that's who we have. And of course, we're going to touch on a slew of different topics, including the majority of NFL teams not picking up the fifth-year option on players drafted, which just goes to our point, it's kind of a crapshoot, right? Kind of a crapshoot. We'll also talk about is the evaluation process on quarterbacks coming out of college, is it flawed? D'Lo and I will talk about that as well. And of course, Houston Astros. Oof. I don't I don't know how was yesterday's game somehow they paid the piper. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to follow that logic of they won the night before but didn't just, win by a I just a don't large... like playing teams on a losing streak, cat. I just don't like doing it. Uh, that's, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's he, the last thing he said to me as he left the station yesterday, by the way. <laughs> uh, I, I don't I don't like playing K. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So we'll get to more about the NBA playoffs. Obviously, we'll talk about Houston Astros getting shut out by the Giants. More NFL. And, of course, we love to take your phone calls. Game hotline's always open. 337 706 0111. But I want to start off about LSU baseball. No midweek meltdown this time around. Didn't happen. Didn't have to worry about them losing to a team from the Southland Conference. Didn't have to worry about that because they went out there and got a convincing win 
like they had for the majority of the season. They were mercy ruling their midweek opponents over and over and over again. And then they ran into the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, who is a team that has lost five or six Sunbelt series, but yet has beaten two top 10 ranked teams along that same stretch. Can't really get a handle on Mad Texas team. They're good for like one, they look great for one game, and then it's struggle bus for the rest. But LSU wasn't messing around with the midweek opponent. They only have two more of these left. They're both against Southland Conference teams, Northwestern State next week, then the week after is McNeese State. But they mercy rule southeastern Louisiana. 10 to nothing in seven innings. Did you see that game? No, you didn't. Nobody did. Oh, unless you're in Hammond. Oh, Hammond. What are you doing? You have one job, southeastern Louisiana. LSU comes to your place. Comes to your place, which means butts are going to be put in the stands. You're having a terrible season. Yes, you won the Southland Conference Tournament last year to go to an NCAA Regional. Outstanding. You're the worst team in the Southland Conference this year. You got LSU coming to you. Coming to you. And you don't have the capabilities to be able to have the ESPN Plus broadcast. No, like all jokes aside, it's 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 pretty sad for the Southeastern because like that is your you know we've talked a little bit about the rotation of LSU and mid you know in state opponents. So this is you know this is every three four years this happens, um, and they happen to be the best LSU team in a long time. And it's exposure for your program, exposure for your facilities, exposure for recruiting purposes. Like it's a it's a big, and I'm obviously I'm sure they tried and did what they could there. I guess something came up technically. But here's but the you thing. Figure that out. Here's the that's, thing. That's they tough. already had the ESPN Plus capabilities because that's in the Southland as well. Right. They they brought it. They usually this wasn't a planned thing. This was a, an announcement that they made about 30 minutes before the game that said due to technical difficulties. So, but it's just it's just that's a bad that's a bad time to have technical difficulties. I'll put it that way. Somebody didn't pay their bill. Ten to nothing game ends in the seventh. LSU plates three in the second, four in the fourth, one in the fifth, and then two more in the seventh. Ten runs on 12 hits. We know this is the best lineup in in the country. Southeastern, no runs. And they had just as many hits, Dawson, as they did errors, too. So, showing you why they are one of the worst teams, not only in the Southland, but in the state. I have no idea what happened to them. I mean, this was a good ball club last year. They went to the NCAA Regionals. And they took a series from Auburn early in the season. They looked good again. Uh, they played pretty well in non-conference. They got to Southland play, and it just kind of fell apart. Brr. Gavin Dugas. I feel like we don't talk about Gavin enough because of the lineup for LSU and how great it is, right? You know, we talk about Dylan Cruz. You know, we talk about Trey Morgan. Even Cade Beloso has been given a lot of love this year in his fifth year, I do believe. But, man, Gavin is just really playing at a high level this year. And I know he's dealt with some injuries, but he has really come on of late. Three hits last night, including a two-run blast. They help 
LSU to that win. LSU improved to 36-8 and eight on the year with the victory while Southeastern South – I'll try that again. Hold on. Reset. Southeastern. There we go. There we go. Dropped to 19-22. and 22. It was LSU's eighth shutout of the season, which leads the nation. Now, they got their three-game series at Auburn, speaking of, this weekend. Dugas, LSU's leadoff hitter, three for four at the plate with the two-run jack. He was also hit by a pitch and scored three runs. Tommy White also delivered a two-run home run in the seventh to give the Tigers a 10-0 advantage. You know, a lot's been said about, well, Tommy gets the advantage because he's batting behind Dylan, right? So he's going to see a lot more pitches because of that. It's very true. But you have to be able to deliver. We've seen it a lot in the big leagues down to college baseball where the best player gets walked or they pitch around them, right? And Tommy delivers, man. Like, he has absolutely thrived in that role. So as great as Dylan is, and he may be the best player in the country, and people are saying that Dylan Cruz is the best player in LSU program history, I'm still going to argue that's Todd Walker. That's me or Ben McDonald, but Dylan's on his way. You need you wanted to say something? No, just just a comment on Tommy White because again, like I I had a good you know I watched him a lot uh, at NC State last year, and the biggest difference this year, all the numbers are similar, but he's not striking out nearly as much. So that adds another element to his game. He struck out fifty times last year in a hundred in two hundred sixty six plate appearances. Uh, he's only got 18 strikeouts, and he's already at 180 plate appearances this year. So They've worked on him with the strikeouts a lot, and that's made a huge difference. LSU right-hander Gavin Guidry made his first career start, got the win as he works two and one-third innings and limited the lines to no runs and no hits with one walk and four Ks. Look, it's a midweek game. You should dominate the worst team in the Southland Conference, right? That's when you're the number one ranked team in the country, you should be able to dominate the worst team in the Southland Conference. But after dropping a game to Nichols last week and the week before to the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, it's probably good for LSU. And once again, they only have two midweek games left. Northwestern State goes to the box next Tuesday. And then after that, it's McNeese State. But you look at this team. Dugas with three hits. Trey Morgan went three for five last night. Dylan Cruz, a pedestrian two for five with two runs scored. (laughs) That'll lower the average. That will lower that amazing average. Tommy White, we talked about, went two for five as well. But they got Jared Jones and Travinsky both got hits as well. This is what you want to see. This is what you want to see. But also what I liked seeing was they gave six different guys some run out of the bull some run mainly out of the bullpen. Gidry got the start, but then Blake Money, who needs clean innings, right? The confidence is there. Blake's the type of guy, if one thing goes wrong, it snowballs on him. That's just who he is. It's not a knock. It's just when Blake is on, no worries. But if he gets in a jam, if he gives up a double, 
right? All of a sudden, he's off. Blake had a clean inning last night. Cleanish for Blake. One strikeout, one walk, no hits, no runs. Buckman, Ackenhausen, Helmers, and Dudden also pitched as well. So, midweek win. No midweek meltdown for the Tigers as they get up for a now a three-game set against the Auburn Tigers slash War Eagles slash Plainsmen. And you look at the rest of their schedule, and once again, they're in this interesting position, LSU is. They're still ranked in the number one ranked team in the country. They're not going to get tested, right? Auburn is not very good. Mississippi State is down. Georgia is, eh. So those are their three remaining SEC series. And they got Northwestern State and McNeese State as well. They're probably going to roll at the SEC tournament in Hoover until maybe they face, like, say, Vanderbilt or South Carolina. And you wonder, you know, we're seeing gorilla ball type numbers in college baseball this year. Will the lack of pitching even matter? Right? We know they have Skeens, who's dominant. You're not going to be able to pitch him every day when you get to Omaha. But is it going to matter? Like, is it going to matter with this lineup? Where you can give up six runs, which seem, which is a huge number, by the way. Six, seven runs. But yet, LSU's probably so confident, Dawson, that even if their pitchers go out there and give up six runs in a College World Series game, they probably go, okay, no problem, we'll just score eight. Like, that's as good as this lineup is. You just can, you're just concerned is, what if they just have an off day at the plate? And your pitchers do what they do. Are well, you going to call, you know? That's the advantage of having to lose twice in any in any of the Correct. formats. Once from regionals to supers to the World Series, you have to lose twice, and so I think that's their advantage. It'll be really tough to beat them twice. We haven't seen a team beat them twice in three days. Um, South Carolina, you know, that's a big. We'll never know in there, and so correct. The only difference is in a regional or a college World Series situation, it doesn't have to be the same team that beats you twice, so that kind of makes things a little bit interesting. You can run into two different situations. You could possibly run into two different aces. That's that's tr- that's possible. It's, possible. Yeah, it's, it's it depends harder, on how right. it'll, yeah it'll, how it'll play out. But um, you know, in a regional, and and this was brought up, you know, on on some of our shows, like you probably. It's just going to be very difficult to do what you have to do to beat this team twice in a four-day span Correct. or a three-day span, uh, the way a regional sets up. And so, you know, I, I don't think that's – I think the worry becomes – and not the worry, but, you know, the situation becomes the Supers, Supers in the World Series. And as which foot, Supers they'll host, and then obviously the College World Series they're familiar with. Yeah, and, and as Foot's brought up, like, it is baseball, and, and, and this is not like college football where if you are the best team in the country, without a doubt, you will probably win the championship that year, or you have a very good chance to. Like it's baseball. In college and, baseball, we've seen for the last twenty years, right? The best team in the country 
is not the one who wins the College World Series. Not all the time. Not at, not at all. And there's been a big run on one seeds that, that haven't won it. Um, you've seen some teams that are really, really good win it, win it all. Um, Look at last and, year with Ole Miss. Right. A team that wasn't great. Coastal Carolina was, was a very, very good team, but was not the best team in the country heading in the year they won it. Fresno State, of course, was far from the best team in the country the year they won it. And those are some of the bigger examples. But, like, even in some of the more, you know, nuanced examples like it's it's as we've mentioned it hasn't been the one seed very often Tennessee last year they were the best team in the country I think we are officially at that point though where you know and and last night's a good step for some of those guys in the pen now you know you're obviously going to face better lineups in southeastern moving forward but I think that was a good step correct you would like to see them get some some quality innings this weekend at Auburn and the, yeah, they'll have that chance, right? And and against Mississippi State as well to help build up their confidence a little bit in case you need to depend on them to stop the bleeding. But LSU avoids the midweek meltdown as they shut out Southeastern Louisiana ten to nothing in a game called in the seventh inning. We got to take a timeout. Speaking of shutouts, the Houston Astros played yesterday, and it didn't go well. We'll talk about that next, right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The LSU Tigers shut out southeastern Louisiana on the road last night for a midweek victory. The Houston Astros, after taking game one of their series against the San Francisco Giants, got shut out themselves, two to nothing. My guy Anthony Daffini, I just call him Daffini for short. That's what we do. Uh, Okay. It's just, I've never heard, you know, you maybe you take off the last few letters or the first few letters to shorten a name. I've never heard just taking out a middle segment, just maybe for pronunciation's sake. D. Sclafani's the guy's full name. Boom, see? We can go with Daffini. Look, look, Anthony, I call him Tony. He just knows, you know. I'll go way back. uh, We go way back. People know, you know, he knows that people struggle with the name. He's like, RP3. That's why you go by RP3, because people struggle with your name. And I go, you know what, bud, you're right. See, I'm just trying to help out, Tony. He threw a season-high 109 pitches in eight scoreless innings. Was it Colts Neck High School where y'all used to hang out, or was it uh, during his time at the University of Florida over in Gainesville? You know, you know me. I'm well-traveled, my friend. Well-traveled. He's originally from New Jersey, so I didn't know if it was back in those days. That's where Colts Neck High School is. What a program they have. (laughs) Oh, man. After, you know, is is winning the first game 7-3, is seven runs too many runs? Because I feel like it's too many runs for Kevin Foote in his mind. Yeah, that's a made-up construct that he's got going on. Um, You got to pay the piper, Cat. Cat. I tell you, you got to pay the piper. Yeah, and I'm sure he'll be talking about the fact that now, but it's just only when it's convenient because he didn't say it yesterday, but 
He, he, this whole Giants were on a losing streak thing. He said it before the first game, and then it didn't happen. But then yesterday he said it, and it did happen. They lost the game. Oh, because sometimes you lose baseball games. But that'll be the only reason. So he'll be happy that they, they now <laughs> lost, and so now they can hopefully win today. He'll, he'll be thinking that's the only way they had a chance to win. Good year for uh, Di Scalfani so far, though. How He's 3-1, and one, bud. He reti- Two one three ERA. Oh man, he retired eleven in a row after a double by Diaz with one out in the third, before giving up a double in the seventh to Jordan Alvarez. I mean, a veteran of the league had a very good twenty twenty one and then missed most of last year. Only pitched nineteen innings, so he's coming back a little rested, refreshed, and uh, he was really really good. You know who was good too? Hunter Brown. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was <laughs> two runs on four hits. And now he did walk a career high five batters. Yeah, he ran up the pitch count a little bit, but he did. He only lasted four and a third, further taxing a bullpen that had to pitch almost the entire Monday night game after starter Luis Garcia left with an elbow injury after just eight pitches. By the way, he's been placed on the 15 day IL with elbow discomfort, joining that's, fellow starter Jose Arquiti. Yeah, that's not what you want to have a pitcher have is the elbow. elbow. I, I'd rather have the shoulder, I'd rather have what Arquiti has. Yeah. That's tough. The elbow, um, the elbow is ooh. The elbow makes you makes you go ooh. The good thing about the bullpen yesterday is that they threw um, a guy that they actually called up. They didn't end up calling up JP France as I kind of thought they might. They called up Matt Gage, a left-handed reliever. He gave him an inning in two thirds. So were you surprised by that? Well, I'm I, I'm I'm thinking, and I don't know this, but I'm thinking they might wait till it's the. Di- I don't know if JP pitched recently in the past couple days. I'd have to check on that. But it might be a situation where they call up the reliever for a couple of days until JP's going to start a game, and then they call him up the day he's going to start, if that makes sense, so that they have just a little roster flexibility with the last spot. Just keep him down in Sugarland until the day he, he's going to pitch so that you're not just calling him up for him to not be available. Makes sense. That's maybe, and again, that's I don't okay. know that for right. sure, but that's a speculation there. Astros will look to deal with the series and try to win the series today. Day baseball for them Strohs as they take on the Giants. 110 first pitch, of course. We'll have it for you right here on the game. A little day baseball, nothing wrong with that. But, look, baseball is a weird game. It just is. Now, have they fallen to two and a half games behind the Texas Rangers? Yes. Are they now tied for second place in the AOS with the Los Angeles Angels? Delos' second favorite team in the American League West? Yes. I'm not all that concerned. A team that I would be concerned about, what's go- what is wrong with the Seattle Mariners? Hmm. You have to ask Hannah five names about that one. I don't know. I mean, they've won two in a row, and they're still 13-16. and 16. But again, I you know being that close to five hundred again, if you're within five or six, I, I don't know. I just think it's still too early to think to really even worry about anyone outside of the Oakland A's. I think you can worry about them. Well, um, we know what they're doing. Just to add, by the way, to my JP France comment, today would be his scheduled day to start for AAA. So if you see him called up to now, he's not going to start today. I wouldn't imagine. Well, no, he's not going to be called up today. So he's going to make his start down at Sugarland today. Well, so yeah, so we'll see. So I don't that that would kind of then disprove what I said. Um, he would probably be called up maybe later this week. But again, like if if my logic of getting him, you know, calling him up the day he was going to start, he might actually. What you could see is him not pitch today in AAA, 
um, and then pitch on Friday, Friday. night. We'll, yeah. s- we'll see what happens, though. And as far as just kind of, again, like what they have actually announced about their pitching plans today, it's going to be Framber because it's his turn in the rotation. They have not announced a, a starter for Friday night, so maybe that does lend to that theory. There we go. There we go. So Strohs get shut out. I'm sure there will be some type of explanation on why that happened. Um, I'm sure there will be yarn and grainy black and white photos on a bulletin board on why that is. But they'll have an opportunity. Look, the Giants are not good. Again. Buster Posey and Bumgarner are not walking through that door, by the way. It's been a while since they've been a good team. They're not good right now. You get shut out. You think you would at least come back and bounce back in a big way today. We'll have that game for you live right here on the game later on today. Right now, we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll unveil the foodie poll question of the day, as well as talk NBA playoffs recap from last night. That's all next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. NBA playoffs, Lakers take game one of their Western Conference semifinal series against the defending champs, the Golden State Warriors, 117 to 112. As great as LeBron is, he's great in the conversation to be the greatest of all time. The Lakers are only going to go as far as Anthony Davis can take them. Because when he's on, they're really tough to beat. And last night's a perfect example. The man had 30 points and 23 rebounds. I don't care how good you are. That's, that, that's going to be tough to beat. The problem with AD has always been this from jump. From the time he was drafted by New Orleans until now. He is a dominant player. But he's not consistent. Like, 30 and 23 last night is amazing. And he'll very easily give you 20 and maybe 12 in game two, Dawson. Like, that's the problem with Anthony Davis's game. Not that he gets nicked up and banged up. It's the fact that he's not consistent. He is a dominant player, but what frustrates you about the brow is the fact that you don't see it game in, game out. Yeah, it doesn't frustrate me anymore because um, I don't have a rooting interest in where he plays. But well, look, I, I just appreciate greatness. Oh. I'm not I'm not one of these Pelicans fans that is uh, still you know. Well, I'm upset. not like that. I'm not like that with Chris Paul, but I get it with Anthony Davis. It was a little more personal that time. But anyway, yeah, um, but Anthony Davis left, and that paved the way for all this greatness that you've had with Zion Williamson. Yeah, yeah, it has been great. Um, there we go. So yeah, that, the, definitely the consistency is the question and. The good th- now, th- there's a couple layers to it though. The other thing is that Golden State does not have anyone for Anthony Davis. Like they, they don't have anyone for him, and we knew that right. going in. Right. 
Um, and the Lakers are built in a way where they're bigger and more physical. They are. And so Golden State, part of it, you look at it and you go, well, Golden State made, what was it, 21 three-point shots last night and still lost the game? That's concerning. Um, but at the same time, that's how they're going to have to beat the Lakers, and we knew that already, kind of. So I think, you know, look, you've got to try to figure out a couple other ways to to, to defend, but I think this might be just a bad matchup in general for Golden State. Like, I, I don't I know. I do worry about that. Now, I still like Golden State to win the series because I don't trust AD to be consistent throughout a seven-game series. I get that, but I don't know if he has to be because I don't know oh, if, if, they, if they shift their defensive rotations around or try to – you know, do things to Anthony Davis. They have LeBron James hanging out, and and he's pretty good at basketball, from what I know. So, like, I just don't know if this is a matchup now. Offensively, like the Lakers don't have much for the for Golden State as far as defense. Both teams are going to struggle defensively. Is my point? Yes. And they both did last night. I mean, Golden State hit a lot of open looks in the first half, but the crazy thing is, you looked up and it was like, man, they're down at the half and they've hit all these shots. So. Golden State shot all those three-pointers. That's going to be the whole series, though. And they lost to a team that only made six. Right. And now the big be- difference. Because the Lakers are built differently. 30 free throws for the Gold- for the Lakers and five or six for Golden State. That's your big difference. But that's going to be how this series plays out. Golden State shoots the fewest number of free throws in the league. The Lakers shoot the most. So while the discrepancy was pretty large last night, that's kind of what you're going to get from these two teams. So uh, Another factor is that. D'Angelo Russell gave him 19 last night. If you're going to get nearly 20 points from Russell, because you're so focused on AD and what LeBron can do, and once again, AD had 30, LeBron had 22, kind of an off night for Braun. But they got 19 from D'Angelo. They ended up getting 19 off the bench from Schroeder. So the Lakers got contributions as well from other guys that you weren't necessarily expecting. You just weren't. And Steph Curry, 10 of 24, that's not a great shooting night for him, not by his standards. Clay Thompson, 9 of 25. I mean, they, they did not shoot the ball well. Percentage-wise, they're two best shooters, and they get 27 and 25. And it's going to be interesting moving forward how do they how do they guard Looney's their big guy? So what do you do with him? Well, that's the problem. And Looney had twenty three rebounds last night. Like he competed and, and he battled inside, but he's just not he's just not the physical matchup against Anthony Davis. No. And he's really not, you know, probably the physical enough. He's not probably not athletic enough to guard LeBron either. Like I don't know what you do, but you know we'll see what Steve Kerr can kind of draw up. I think you're gonna, I, you kind of worry that Golden State has to just outshoot him every night, and like they outshot him by a lot last night, and still lost. So I again, I just I'm, I don't I don't again I don't I still don't feel great about this Lakers team, and now I'm at the point where even if they won this series, I still wouldn't like sit there and feel any different about them. But yet they're yet they they lead. They took game one in a Western Conference semifinal. Yeah, and I think they have a I think they have a matchup that might not be able to be stopped by what Golden State has defensively. Like I just don't think Golden State has that. So it's going to be a intriguing game two, three, and beyond. I agree. And 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 I do wonder, once again, AD's consistency and how much are the Lakers built because of the their roster and their key players are on the older side. <sighs> Can they get in a track meet with Golden State? 
for seven games. I don't know. I don't know. It's an intriguing series. That's for sure. The other one, Eastern Conference semifinals. Game two. New York Knicks even it up with a 111-105 win over the Miami Heat. All things considered, good for the Knicks, right? Julius Randle gave him 25. He was 8 of 18 shooting. They get 30 for Jalen Brunson. How did Mark Cuban let that guy leave the building? I'm still not quite for sure how that happened. He had a nice bounce-back game, right, Dawson, because he was awful in game one. He had 30 points. They got 24 from Barrett. Josh Hart gave him 14. And they got the win. But they had their hands full with the Miami Heat, who didn't have Jimmy Butler, by the way. Butler didn't play because of the ankle. And the Knicks still got pushed to the limit by a Miami Heat team essentially down three starters. That gives me a little pause. Because I liked New York to win this series because I thought they were the better team. Jimmy is tremendous. And he's going to help make this a series. But if you needed Brunson to get you 30 and you had to hold off a Miami Heat team that was starting washed-up Kevin Love, Martin, Bam, Vincent, and Strider, like, you needed everything in your tank to hold off that lineup? Uh, that, that makes me go, uh, like, I just go, uh. now I don't know how I feel about the Knicks. Moving forward, now, we anticipate it feels like they shut down Jimmy to be proactive, plus they're like, hey, we got a split in New York, we'll go back and he'll be ready for game three, because that feels like the new approach that all NBA teams are doing. See, Milwaukee Bucks, that didn't work out for the Bucks. What do you make of the effort last night? Like, the Knicks won the game, and that's what they're supposed to do, but they absolutely had to hold off and win this game in the fourth quarter against a Jimmy Butler-less Miami team. Yeah, I actually tweeted at at one point in this game, and I said if the Miami Heat won this game, it'd be a continuation of one of the more improbable runs we've seen in NBA history. And I think, like, and I know people have brought up that Miami was in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. They they are not the same team. They were bad most of the season. They were the 30th-ranked offense out of 30 teams in the struggled. They struggled. They looked like a team that wasn't even going to make the play-in tournament. Right, and then they lost their second and third best players in these playoffs. So, like, they already were not a good team during this season, and I understand historically, so I think people aren't, like, you know, quite as surprised. Like, if this would have been a team like the Orlando Magic or someone who did it, then people would have been, you know, much more shocked. But since it's Miami and they know Jimmy Butler, I think they're not And the bubble it. run to the NBA Finals is still fresh on a lot of people's right. minds as but, well. Right, but this is an unbelievable run, and I think Eric Spolcher is one of the best coaches in the NBA, and that's clear. Um, and, like, last night, like, look, Duncan Robinson was, was, a, was a forgotten player on this roster, did not play well at all this season, and, like, now he's out there being, like, one of their key contributors. And Kevin Love is literally picked up off waivers and starting for them. And they're competing in the NBA playoffs. And they're giving 31 minutes to Kyle Lowry. 
Right, and, and they're they're doing what they have with what they've got, and and they're playing. The roster is it's it's good. just an incredible run. I th- so I think credit to Spolstra and 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 everybody over there for figuring it out. And like, yeah, when Jimmy Butler comes back, I I think the Heat are in a very good spot in this series. And the Knicks, you know, again, the Knicks weren't a team I was super high on. Regardless, I thought them in Cleveland. Uh, it was a matchup where somebody was going to move on, but I didn't feel great about either team in the second round. You felt a lot better once it wasn't Milwaukee that they had to play. Um, but I don't know if the Knicks are necessarily ready for the next step either. If if And if they were to win this series, I would make it, to me, it would feel very comparable to when the Atlanta Hawks made a run a couple of years ago and, and found themselves in the Eastern Conference Finals with Trey Young. It just felt like it was a team that wasn't supposed to be there but got there because of a variety of circumstances. That, that would be how I felt about And if Miami won the series, again... It would just be an unbelievable run. I think it's a little bit different. Um, it's still, it does feel like whoever wins the series is getting fed to the wolves. You know, with 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 whatever's going to go down in Philadelphia, Boston. But that series got a whole lot more interesting as well. So correct, a lot of intrigue on that side. So we'll see how these playoffs progress. But so far, they've been absolutely fascinating. And that is for sure. We told you we'd unveil our foodie poll question of the week, and here we are. In honor of Cinco de Mayo, which is Friday, we decided to roll out, what's your favorite Mexican dish? Is it tacos? Is it burritos? Is it tamales? Or is it fajitas? Early votes have fajitas at 53%. 35% of you say tacos, 6% say burritos, 6% say tamales. Hart says tacos are literally heaven on earth. JPK, the OD, says tacos, and they share pictures. JPK also says, love me some Mexican food, but I would be remiss if I didn't point out that despite some variations in the baseline protein, it's just the same five ingredients doled out in 7,436,192 combinations. Ralph says, man, I love the combo fajitas, steak, chicken, and shrimp. Something about the sizzling plate that sends the salivary glands into overdrive. Off course, I take most of it home because I'm full with chips and salsa. (laughs) What a brilliant move by Mexican chain restaurants to go chips and salsa. It's so cheap. Right, yeah, no, but I wonder too, though, I guess just because, I mean, you, you think like, oh, some people probably go to Mexican restaurant just because, like, well, we get the free chips and salsa. That'd be great. But, like, you get filled up, so then aren't you le- less likely to order more food or drinks? You know, does it work that way? Although, I guess the saltiness kind of makes you thirstier, so then you have to order more drinks. There it is. There it is. There's levels to it. There is levels to it. Salty Steve, speaking of salt, shrimp tacos are my favorite. Had three yesterday on Taco Tuesday. I do like a good shrimp taco. also like a good grilled fish taco. Yeah, that's a sleeper one. I had Taco Ooh. Tuesday last night as well in the neighborhood. That was fun. Um, we left some big heavy hitters off the list, too. I mean, we've only got four answer choices. What are we going to do? But enchiladas wasn't on there, and I think that's something that deserves mention in the conversation. Uh, quesadilla, maybe a little more Tex-Mex, but it uh, has some you know true, authentic Mexican uh, roots to it as well, right? So um, yes. those two as well, two of my other favorites. I put tamales on the list. And I used to work with a guy in Alexandria, and he would make homemade tamales, like I guess like once a month or once every uh, every month. And he would make them homemade, and he would use 
coffee filters as the wrap. And he would make them and not even charge us. Like he would just, him and his wife would just make a bunch of tamales and just bring them. He worked over in the press area at the newspaper I worked at, the Town Talk. And he would just bring them. Wilford was his name. And those were like the absolute best tamales I've ever had. Yeah, there's a little tiny uh, tamale stand around the corner from where I grew up. And it's still there. And it's a woman who's out there every day from like 5 to 9. Um, and she's been out there since I remember, and my dad says she's been out there since he can remember, and she goes out there, <laughs> there and she is. sets up, and she sells tamales three to four hours every day. Um, those are fantastic. Also, I had a Cuban tamale at Festival International. for the first. It was the first time I've had a Cuban tamale. It was unbelievable. It was absolutely fantastic. Oh, there we go. Now we're talking. You're going to have to let me know where this lady's set up at. Next time I go down to New Orleans, I will make a trip to the West Bank just to get these delicious homemade tamales you speak of. Yeah, and there's no real name of the place. It just says tamales. It's just a spot. For sale. Um, and it's actually in the front of a like a Dollar General parking lot. It's quite, it's just, it's the type it's of place you go, perfect. that's going to be good. It's, yeah. Yes, it's yeah. going to be perfect. We got to take a time out. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Hour number one coming to a close sooner than later right here. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Philadelphia 76ers big man Joel Embiid as expected wins his first MVP award the league announced last night he finished ahead of Denver Nuggets center Jokic who is the two-time reigning MVP and the guy that was MVP before him Giannis who finished as third place Jason Tatum of Boston finished fourth and Oklahoma City Thunder guard SGA was fifth fifth they got themselves a good one. And you got to love what Oklahoma City is doing there, building, and they broke it all down. And now they have 800 picks to build around a guy who is a legit dude. Embiid finally wins it. Finished his runner-up the last two years. I thought the vote was going to be a little bit closer. Now, I felt Embiid was going to win based on how he played in the last two to three weeks of the season. And Jokic missed some time, right? He got banged up a little bit there towards the end. But I was surprised how not close it was. Like, he got 73 of the 100 available first-place votes. Embiid did. Jokic only had 15. I think it's voter fatigue, too, though. That's part of it. That's fair. So, Embiid is your MVP. Now, will the MVP be healthy enough to play in this playoff series and help the 76ers to win over the Celtics? We'll have to wait to find that out. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up right here on the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. 
Oh, welcome back to RP3 and Company. 703 on this tremendous Wednesday morning. As we broadcast live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette, Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. I'm joined inside the studios by Dawson Iserlo. He's the producer extraordinaire. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Can we um, can we do a little? I, I didn't ask you this before we went on, but can we do a little um, poll question reset here? Poll question reset. Yeah, as in as in just talk about it some more. Absolutely, that was the game plan. Yeah. So I mean, that's why it says on the rundown. Hold on, let me pull it up. Reset with topics of the day and foodie poll question. Yeah, but me asking you kind of added to the show, added to a little intrigue. People didn't know. <laughs> okay. We were on the same page. Let's dive right in. Um, it's JBK the OD shared a shared a picture of Berea tacos. Yes. I need some recommendations for Berea in the area, so I'm asking Ooh. that of the listeners and and maybe of him or or, or anyone else who who knows because um, I've been craving some Berea tacos and I haven't had any in this area really probably ever. Um, I've only had it a couple times in my life, but I, it was always a great experience. So that's been something I've been that's been on my mind. I saw a YouTube video yesterday where a guy was eating some, but it was in California, so I don't think I'll be able to make it over there today. So no, I don't think you're going to be able to make it over there. No. Right. So uh, I don't know if that's something around here. If there's a spot, and what are you? Have you ever had burrito tacos? I don't think I have. Or you dip it in the oh, and you dip it in the 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 what is it like the consummate or whatever they call it? It's like a oily kind of greasy, um, just dip. You know, I mean, it sounds amazing. No, oh, yeah, and it's like crispy on the edges. The tacos are they're kind of like pan fried with a little crust on them. No, yeah, no, it's fantastic. I'm I'm a big fan of barbecue brisket tacos. Yeah, those are great as well. Those are good. Um, I love tacos, period. You know, when you're a kid, it was always a big treat to have tacos, but we, like, I'm old enough where you would only get the hard shell. And not the fancy hard shells they have now that are flat on the bottom. No. Just tacos, like cheap hamburger meat and the hard shells. And have some lettuce and tomato, and maybe, maybe. You'd have cheese, but maybe you'd have like sour cream or salsa or something like that because some of those things were expensive. But that was such a big deal. Or like when you went to school and it was tacos for school in the cafeteria, that was always a big deal. I remember that, Joy. Yeah, I was always a soft taco guy growing up. Always liked soft tacos more. Now, now I'll, I'll, I go either way. I, the, the crunchy taco, yeah, you really have to have some stability with the shell because if you go with a with a with a you know a shell that just like building an offensive line, you got to start with infrastructure, and that's what holds everything together. So that's important. There, the same could be said about the soft taco because you could overdo it. Well, that's but that's more about just kind of your, that's your own. Well, it depends again if you're making your own taco, you have control of that. If you're at a restaurant or somewhere else, and they're putting it together then you just got to put some faith in them yeah but they also bring out like the guac and the sour cream and the salsa on the side a lot of times they bring the lettuce out on the side too so yeah but usually the, the meat is what's going to break your shell or your, or your oh tortilla. i disagree because sometimes people too much too, too, too many toppings well that's that's on there that's as well on them, my friend that's on them i'm just saying i also like simple and i i've, I've said this about <laughs> pizza and people and i think i don't know if i've mentioned it on this show or not but people get mad at me 
Like, if I'm going to a pizza, I think I did say that on the show. I want to, the first thing I'm going to order from a pizza restaurant, if I haven't been to the place before, is a cheese pizza. Like, that's going to tell me how good you are at making pizza. What does your cheese pizza taste like? Anybody can put four pounds of meat on a meat lover's pizza and it'll be good. That's fine. But I want to know what your basis, what your you want to know about the quality like. of the sauce and the dough. Yeah, I want to see. I want to go to football yes. practice. I want to see your offensive line do some drills. There I don't want to see the quarterback slinging it around before I know what's going to be protecting him. You know, I was not anticipating. Well, I asked you if we could discuss it further, and then I kind of went down a few paths. But anyway, back to my whole point. <laughs> Nowadays, if I like, if I'm going to go soft taco though, kind of quesadilla style, I want to put that that taco after it's constructed. I want to put it in the pan, get a little crisp on it. Oh, a this man's going, the pan. going a little fancier. If on I've me. got time, yeah, I mean that's that's that makes it a much better experience. Oh, as well. there we it really go. Does there we go? But does it make it still a taco? Yeah, I mean, what's what's I mean, what's fundamentally changing from one thing to another? But aren't you like closing it up? I mean, you don't have to. No. Yeah, but if you're crisping it up, how are the stuff? How's the stuff not going to ooze out? Well, you can you can just tuck the ends if you need to. Okay. All right. I mean, if you want to call that a burrito, you can. I just think a burrito then has a much bigger tortilla in general. I feel like burritos should be getting more love in the poll question. Well, you put it up against a gauntlet. You put it up against fajitas, and you put it up against tamales. I, I did. Mean, I did. And, and tacos. tacos. And I know. Tacos. I know. I know. You used to love eating that at this place when we lived in Beaumont. What was it called? Freebirds? It was like a big burrito place. Humongous burritos. Phenomenal. Right now, 49% of you say fajitas. 35% say tacos. 10% say tamales. 6% say burritos for our foodie poll question of the week. All tons of great comments as well. Ralph has chimed in, D-Lo for you, and he has given you a screenshot of restaurants that are going to be serving what you're requesting. Here in the area, it's already on the poll question. Okay, no, and, and I, I mean, I figured there were some places that had it. I didn't know if someone had like their favorite or their best idea of them, but no, uh, he, I still he, he appreciate it. He has that giving you a okay. list. It's right I'll, there. I'll in the go poll. take a look. I'll go there you look. go. He said, "Just for you, courtesy of our guy Ralph." Darren says, "Shrimp enchiladas." Oh, those are good. Tom says, "The answer to this is yes." <laughs> By the way, ever had zawali tamales? Game changing. I'm going to go out on a limb and say these are tamales made in Zawali, Louisiana. Ton, follow up with me on this. Because if not, then a road trip to Zawali. They used to have a really good basketball program, small school. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter and just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. huh? Let's not get sideways. Interesting night on the diamond. We talked about it in hour number one. LSU avoids the midweek meltdown. They mercy rule poor southeastern Louisiana. Gavin Dugas, three hits. Kids playing out of his mind. And Jay Johnson uses six different pitchers. They all pitch well. Good confidence booster, especially for guys like Blake Money who needs it. And now they will roll right along and go over to the Plains to take on the Auburn Tigers slash War Eagles slash Plainsman for a three-game SEC series. Number one ranked team in the country. While they were shutting out southeastern Louisiana and getting back on track with the midweek games, the Houston Astros inexplicably get shut out by the San Francisco Giants. Hunter Brown was okay. 
walked too many batters, got that pitch count out, didn't last five innings. But he only gave up the two runs and four hits. So he didn't pitch terrible. He wasn't, as Kevin Foote would say, a donkey. He just wasn't as good as he needed to be as the Strohs were held in check for a long stretch in the game. Now, rubber match is today, and you can listen to that game live right here on the game. Day baseball from Minute Maid Park. 110 is the scheduled first pitch. Of course, we'll have it for you right here on the game. And once again, look, it's early. They're two and a half games behind the Texas Rangers. They're tied with the Angels for second place in the American League West, but it's still super early. And all the injuries. Jose Altuve, Lance McCullers Jr., Chaz McCormick, Jose Arquiti, Luis Garcia. They're all on the IL. <laughs> and Michael Brantley is still doing his rehab assignment in Sugarland. So yeah, they're a little they're they're a li- little hobbled right now, would be the way to describe that. And yet they're still only two and a half games out. So, you know, be patient. Once again, first pitch, 110. Pre-game begins at 1240. And we'll have Astros Giants for you right here on the game. So Astros will look to get the series win after dropping yesterday's game and after dropping two of three to the Philadelphia Phillies. After they went on that great run where they took two or three from the Blue Jays, swept the Braves, and took two or three from Tampa Bay. But this is what makes baseball great. The game itself is the great equalizer. The worst team in the league can beat the best team in the league on any given day because it's baseball. Because it's baseball. you have any idea, comprehension, how difficult it is to hit a baseball? Like, we go, well, he only went one for five last night. Do you realize that there's probably only a few hundred people on the face of the planet that can go one for five in Major League Baseball? Like, it's an enormous accomplishment. I don't think we realize just how difficult baseball is. And that's what makes it the great equalizer compared to, say, basketball and football, is that anything can happen in baseball. Football, nine times out of ten, if you're the better team, you're the better team. Both NFL and college. Same thing thing with basketball. Baseball? We say it all the time, right? We say it all the time, not only in Major League Baseball, we say it all the time in college baseball. The best team throughout the season is not necessarily the one that wins the championship. Because anything can happen. Because that's how baseball is. That's how it's constructed. That's how it's played. That's what it's about. Anything can happen in baseball. And foot, I'll use a footism. You have to stop having a football mentality. Baseball is different. There's no guarantee. You can have the greatest assembled team. I go back to 2001. 
It's the greatest example of this. The Yankees were in the middle of their dynasty. They were loaded. And they lost a World Series in seven games to the Arizona Diamondbacks. And not only, yes, the Diamondbacks had Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling, a one-two combination at pitcher. Kurt Schilling should be in the Hall of Fame. He's not because that's a discussion we'll have for another day. And they had two great pitchers. And they had, on the back end of his career, Mark Grace. But the Yankees, who are the evil empire, had the entire country behind them because of 9-11. Everyone was pulling for the Yankees to win that World Series. The They had all that emotion. They were the favored team. They were the better team. They had more talent. They had the greatest closer in the history of, of Major League Baseball on the bump in Game 7, and he gave up the game-winning hit to Gonzalez to the Arizona Diamondbacks and their hideous jerseys. Anything can happen. It's baseball. Anything can happen. Just because you may have more talent, just because you may have the advantage, just because everyone thinks you're going to win, doesn't mean you're going to win. That's what makes baseball great. Pre-game 1240 today, 110 first pitch. Astros, Giants, rubber match from Minute Made. Y'all have it right here for you at the game. Coming up next, we'll switch over to the NFL. Talk about a plethora of teams deciding not to pick up fifth-year options. What do we make of that? That's next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You know, we talk about how the draft is kind of a crapshoot, right? That's We talk about how it's really a guessing game. You hope these players can live up to their potential. You hope when they go to the certain teams that it's going to be a right fit, that they're going to fit in with that team's culture, that they'll be developed, coached up and made into great players, transformed, if you will, into pro bowlers, all pros, foundation pieces for a Super Bowl run. We also talked about how silly it is to give draft grades. This team won the draft. This team gets an A- minus because they drafted this player, this player, and this player. Well, here's something interesting for you, some food for thought. 14 players, 14 from the 2020 draft have had their fifth-year options declined 
14. 14 fifth-year options have been declined. That includes number two overall pick Chase Young by the Commanders. Number eight, Isaiah Simmons. Number nine, C.J. Henderson. Number 11, Makai Becton. Number 14, Javon Kinlaw. Number 18, Austin Jackson. Number 20, Chase On from LSU. 21, Jalen Rieger. He's already on another team. Number 23, Kenneth Murray. Number 24, Cesar Ruiz, obviously of the Saints. Number 27, Jordan Brooks. Number 28, Patrick Queen. Number 30, Noah. I'm not even going to try to say that man's name. Igbenogany. Thank you. And number 32, Clyde edwards Elaire. So another reason why I made sure to hire Mr. Iserlo because he is good at pronouncing names. So 14 of the guys selected in the first round of the draft did not have their fifth-year options picked up. And that's the whole reason. Dawson and I talked about this, and he made sure to bring it up on Foot Show as well. The importance of the fifth-year option. Because that allows teams to do what, Dawson? That allows them to keep their players on the cheap. Instead of giving them the big massive contract after four years, you simply pick up the fifth-year option, and you have another year to essentially negotiate a long-term deal, that second contract with your first-round pick, the alleged foundation piece. And especially with the key positions like quarterback and pass rusher, it allows you to build a roster that has a championship window for one more year where even if you have the long-term extension in place – You have the cap maneuverability for that fifth year. Now, you look at the guys who did have their fifth-year options picked up. Only 12. Joe Burrow, of course. Andrew Andrew Thomas, Tua, Justin Herbert, Derek Brown, Jedrick Willis, Jerry Judy. I was a little surprised about Judy, but I guess Denver is... Sean Payne's like, yeah, that kid can play. Let's keep him. Let's not try to give him away for nothing. C.D. Lamb was retained. Justin Jefferson, that's a no-brainer as well. The money is fully guaranteed. So, 12 teams said the guy that we selected, and in some cases, these guys are now on new teams, so that that is part of it. We're going to go ahead and commit. Like, Justin Herbert's getting $29.5 million. Joe Burrow's getting $29.5 million. You know, those are guys are getting big money, right? Judy's only getting 12.9. But what do we make of this? Like, I think this is a great reflection on how it's not a slam dunk. And some of these guys that didn't get their fifth-year option picked up are pretty good players. Patrick Queen's been a pretty good player for Baltimore. But the Ravens are like, we're not picking up the fifth-year option. And again, so that's another thing, another layer to this. That doesn't mean that the player's not going to stay with the team, and it doesn't mean the player's not been a good player. But the fifth-year option has, again, the fifth-year option isn't you keep this player for free. The fifth-year option has an assigned cost associated with it. So essentially what you're seeing is even if that player's a good player, there's teams that say, well, he's not worth what the slotted. Um, it's kind of like arbitration in a way, right, in, in Major mm-hmm. League Baseball, where a team is going to go to the player and say, look, we like you. It doesn't mean we don't want to keep you around, but like, for that number that you're, you know, if you tested the free agent market, you wouldn't get that number anyway. So we're not going to give it to you. No offense. Correct. So some of those guys will resign, and and you know, and and that doesn't mean it was a failure of a draft pick either. But like I also mentioned, it's a little more important at certain positions. Like at the quarterback spot, it's very important because again, the league overpays for quarterbacks. I think that's obvious. Now, 
I almost argue with the semantics of saying overpaid because at this point they're paying what the market deems. But at quarterback, it's very important. At offensive offensive tackle, it's very important. And at pass rusher, it's very important. At other positions, wide receiver, it's pretty important if you find a really good player. Um, and you know, and it, it, but it depends at other positions, right? Like a safety, you know what I mean? The safety market hasn't been getting paid nearly as much. So you might be a little bit more hesitant to pick up a fifth-year option if you don't think the market deems it necessary. Now, those those values are slotted based on pick and based on position as well, I think. But um, it's a complicated game. But again, yes, I think your overall point that like people who just want to sit there and go, well, oh, they screwed it up again. They made another bad first-round pick. Like It's hard, you know? <laughs> these, these guys are... They're it's, paid to do this. It's and, hard, you know. I know a lot of people were surprised by Chase Young not getting the uh, his fifth year option. I know why Washington is doing it. Uh, obviously, transparency. I'm a Commanders fan. Look, he was the defensive rookie of the year, and he was phenomenal in 2020. Seven and a half sacks. Okay, but his ACL tear. Not only was it a tear, they had to reconstruct it. Okay, so I need everyone to kind of understand that. People are like, oh, Chase Young. I want Chase Young to still be on this team. I want to believe that Chase Young is going to come back and show the potential when he was a pro bowler and, by the way, the defensive rookie of the year. But they tore, he tore his ACL and his patellar tendon in his right knee. They had to reconstruct it, so much so, Dawson, that the surgery included grafting part of the patellar tendon from his other knee, which led to additional recovery time. That's what they had to do. That's how severe that injury was. He only came back for three games last year. So if you're the commanders, do you pick up the fifth-year option? Because you have no idea what you have. You hope he can return to form, but you have no idea. He could be done. Like, you really don't know. So slotted at the number two overall pick means you're going to have to spend $20 million picking up that fifth-year option. I understand why they didn't do it. Uh, as much as I would love to see Chase Young still remain in a commander's uniform because I think he's a good young player, but obviously tearing the knee. But even before then, that's the other thing that gives you pause, right? He was great as a rookie, rookie of the year, pro bowler. Before he suffered the ACL injury, which needed to be reconstructed, in nine games in 2021, he only had one and a half sacks. So his production, he was going through a sophomore slump as it was, and then he blew up his knee. So are you going to get rookie Chase Young? Or are you going to get the guy that had the sophomore slump before he got injured in 2021? So that's why the number two overall pick that year is did not have his fifth year option picked up. That's good insight there that you only get from a from a show that has some commanders ties to it. Um, but no, another thing to to mention here, and this this argument maybe isn't as great as it once was, um, but I actually think it kind of still stands up. And it's about the importance of of winning while your quarterback is on his rookie deal, or yes. otherwise happening to have a generational Hall of Fame quarterback, like one of the two. Um, and you look at the quarterbacks who have played in the Super Bowl over the last five years. Last year, Patrick Mahomes, um, generational future Hall of Fame quarterback. Jalen Hurts on a rookie deal. The year before that, now that's an exception. Matthew Stafford's the exception. Not necessarily a generational future Hall of Fame quarterback. Like, man, we can have that conversation a different no. day. But not, not, not a generational <laughs> Patrick Mahomes type guy, right? 
and they won the Super Bowl. But the other side, Joe Burrow on a rookie contract. The year before that, the Bucks, Tom Brady, generational future Hall of Fame quarterback. Mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes, generational future Hall of Fame rookie, I mean Hall of Fame quarterback, who was also on a rookie deal. The year before that, the Chiefs, Mahomes, same story, against the Niners with, uh, what, Garoppolo? Um, That was a little bit of an exception as well, I guess you can say. And then before that, Patriots, Tom Brady, generational, Hall of Famer. Uh, The Rams, Jared Goff on a rookie deal. Like, it's it's usually one or the other, right? That's the funny thing. Go back to Russell Wilson. Yeah, on a rookie deal. On the rookie deal for both of those team around those, you know, and and so that's and Cam Newton on a rookie deal. Like it it goes on and on. Or and and who beat him? Peyton Manning. I know it's a bit of you know he wasn't Peyton Manning, but still generational future Hall of Fame quarterback. Like it's just there's not a whole lot of Kirk Cousins in the Super Bowl, if that makes sense, right? The middle of the pack, really good quarterback who's getting paid a lot as well. Like you don't see that often. And so I think that's what's really interesting about Joe these. Joe Flacco got paid after the Super Bowl. Right, right. People and so forget that's, about that. It's just very hard. Now, like Stafford's a bit of an exception. Again, like the Rams got it done, but they also had a whole lot. And look at what it's cost them in the years afterwards, right? Like They also had the best player in the league fair, yeah, on no, the defensive line but in so Aaron my, Donald. Just, just the overall point there yes. is, again, if you want to win, you either A, win with your quarterback while he's young and cheap, or B, hope you have one of the best quarterbacks of all time. That's that's really uh, that's your two options, right? And it's just like it's just not easy to win in this league. So that's my point there. Yes, it, very good. I like, I like how you just got to just that's what you got to do. It's true. It's absolutely true. We got to take a timeout. We'll talk more NFL quarterback evaluations. I've long believed that they have been immensely flawed, and we talked about it on the air where I felt like. Guys that cover the league, cover the draft, talk themselves in, convince themselves because they watch so much film that they ignore the bad things and just look at the good things. Does Dawson agree with that? We'll talk about that next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. So, I have some opinions on uh, quarterback evaluation. I mean, you already gave your opinions on Mexican food, tacos. Big fan. Big fan. And the listeners came out and said, let's help out our guy D'Lo. And once again, before we get into your point, explain to the folks the type of taco that you're talking about because I've never had it. Yeah. So, but I love tacos. I love tacos. I love brisket tacos. That's my jam, by the way. But you're telling me about some other type of taco I don't believe I've ever had. Please explain once again. Well, see, essentially what it is, it's it's barilla tacos. You know, if you want to have a little uh, roll of the R there. Oh, but a little flavor there from you. So essentially what you're going to have is is usually beef, some sort of, um, you know, stew-type meat, something you'd put in a stew. Um, and you're going to cook that meat down, and it gets marinated in a bunch of, you know, different spices and things of that. Um, and then it gets put in the taco, and then essentially, usually, it's kind of like fried up, but it's got the stew meat, and then what it has is the is the is the broth, 
that the stew meat is cooked in, you then dip the taco in as well. Oh. Um, and it's delicious. Sounds and amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's where that is. But I wonder if I could convince the wife and my daughter for us to uh, detour from the diet healthy mm. living for this because it was way in day today and uh, I lost another pound and a half. There you go. So, boom, boom. I'm rolling. I'm yeah. rolling. We're playing another 5Ks. Can I fit in this? type of deliciousness into oh, anything, 5K training. Anything in moderation. Isn't that the, uh, I think it's a good motto. Have you met me? Well, I, I said moderation. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll, I'll circle back and see and see see how we can make that happen. All right, go ahead. You yeah, have a quarterback. point. So, uh, you know, and, and you, you brought up the question, is, is the quarterback evaluation process flawed? I don't know if it's flawed because I don't know if there's a good way to do it. I did just want to say I think it's interesting around draft time and I was having these thoughts, and it kind of goes back to the Zach Wilson thing. So essentially, when Zach Wilson played in college, um, I was this was before my time on the radio, of course, so I didn't get to share any of these thoughts. But I watch a lot of Group of Five football. I watch a lot of uh, I watch a lot of college football that some people don't maybe watch as closely until it's you know told, until it's shown to them to be important by you know some of the uh, national rankings and things next to teams' names. Ooh. I was big on Zach Wilson early in the 2020 season. I was watching a lot of BYU. I thought they had a nice young roster. I was intrigued by it. I saw them play a couple of games. And I started basically having these thoughts and, and, and telling the, my friends and people around me and I have you know a group chat where I was like, guys, y'all have to watch this Zach Wilson kid from BYU. He's unbelievable. And people were like, oh, oh I don't know. And, and I would look up his draft stock, and he wasn't projected to be a first-round pick. And I was like, what are, what are people missing about this guy? It's unbelievable. And he was making throws that I had never seen quarterbacks make. Like, I just had not seen the type of precision he was throwing the ball with. And then about halfway through the season, like, people started to catch on. And it was like a really, it was, you know, a confirmation. And so that's kind of why I've been supportive of Zach Wilson. And I, you know, joke around with foot about it. Because for me, it was like a guy that I was on him before anyone else was. Or at least before a lot of the national kind of draft evaluators were. And then he started to get the hype and... I also think it's funny, like I've heard Zach people say, well, how many Zach Wilsons have to happen before we stop doing this with quarterbacks? Talking about Levis and Richardson, and I think it's a bad comparison completely because Zach Wilson was extremely proficient and accurate and had one incredibly productive college season, whereas I think the argument against Richardson is that he wasn't even that guy in college. So I Levis think had, a, uh, had a productive he had season. A very, well, yeah, one very good year, so mm -hmm. maybe that's a, a comparison point, but I think that's a different story. Now, Zach Wilson didn't work out in the league, so... It's not even as much about these guys working out in the league or not, but my point is that I saw it, and I'm not a professional scout or anything like that, but I saw it in a guy, and then other people saw it eventually. So my, my thought process around quarterback evaluation is I really wonder what would happen if you were tasked with watching college football all year, watching all the draft-eligible quarterbacks in college football, watching each of their game film, but not being told, not given a basis of who was the best quarterback by the, the, the draft experts, right? Not given that list that had Richardson, Stroud, Young, Levis, Hendon Hooker, and the rest of the guys. And you had to create your own list. Like, what would that list come up with? And, and one of my main thoughts was, I think Stetson Bennett would probably have been at the top of a lot of people's list because they'd have just watched him play for Georgia and they'd have watched him been really good for Georgia and win a lot of games and make all the throws and they'd have put him at the top. And I'm not saying Stetson Bennett's going to be better than all these guys, but like I think that's an interesting thing. Like when you just watch that guy play, you'd have probably put him at the top. I know for probably for a fact Anthony Richardson would have not been high on many people's boards who just watched him play. 
So I think it's an interesting disconnect between the people who evaluate the position and the people who are in positions of power within professional franchises and what they value and what they look for versus someone who just watches quarterbacks play the position. And again, I'm not saying you'd be more right or more wrong. Um, I do think sometimes the guys who evaluate this position put more emphasis on things that shouldn't have as much emphasis on them, and they maybe overthink things like you're saying. They watch a guy and they fall in love with the the possibility. They, lo- they fall in love with the idea of what he can be as opposed to what he is. Correct. They fall in love with potential, and right. they ignore – look, it happens every year. Through the process of getting ready for the draft, draft evaluators and front offices do this over and over again. They overvalue potential. They ignore the negatives because the potential in their minds is worth more than the negatives. So simple things with quarterbacks, since we're talking about quarterbacks here. The ability to read defenses. So many college offenses are tailor-made for the quarterback. And in many cases, it's a one-read offense. That guy's not open, throw it to the other guy. Done. Like, like that's what it is. The routes are not as complex as they are when they get to the next level. And I say it over and over again. You can have all the arm strength in the world. You can put up gaudy numbers in college. To succeed at the next level, I don't care about your height, your weight, arm strength, anything. Do you have the ability to go through your progressions and read defenses? And that's something that can't really be evaluated from college tape, to your credit. Correct. Like, because of what college offenses are and what college because the game, play calling is. And people don't realize this as well. The game is drastically different, specifically for quarterbacks from college to the pros, especially in the last 10 to 15 years. And... You, we've seen it over and over again, guys that put up great numbers look amazing on film. You can break it down and say, look, well, look, look at what this guy does. The next level, it's all about accuracy. It's all about making the throw to a spot and having your wide receiver be the only guy to go get it. In college, you can just throw it up and throw jump balls all day long. Or you're throwing little, you're trying to throw to the receiver in his hands. You're trying to throw to the target. In the NFL, you have to throw to spots because you are trusting your wide receiver to run the complex route to get to the spot, to beat the DB, to have enough separation between the cornerback that is blanketing him to be able to pull in that 12-yard catch or an 8-yard catch or a 6-yard catch. Talent evaluators and NFL scouts and NFL GMs fall in love with the guy can throw the ball 50 yards from his knees. I don't care. I want accuracy. You know what made Joe Montana in the conversation of the greatest of all time? Wasn't arm strength. Accuracy. You know what made Drew Brees so great? Wasn't arm strength. Was it? It was accuracy. Tom Brady. Wasn't arm strength. What was it? Accuracy. Accuracy and being able to read the defenses matters. And the way the college game is, the way it is now, because barely any teams run pro-style offenses, is that you don't know. Like, you have no idea if they can 
The, the, the extent you see is them throwing a, a fade route. Great. I need to see more. Well, and that's just like to my to what I'm kind of getting at here. It's just interesting to me the disconnect between what you watch and see from you know from a I wouldn't say I would I would call myself someone who's uh, more knowledgeable than the average person about it. But again, not like not claiming that I have like expertise in the field and have talked to quarterback experts. Um, between that, like Stetson Bennett makes those throws. He has that accuracy. He anticipates routes, and I saw him do that a lot. But then you can easily make the argument: well, he doesn't have top end athleticism, top end arm talent, and he played with the best offensive line and the best receivers around. So, like, there's that that disconnect. Anthony Richardson's kind of the other end of that. Like, he has top-end everything, but he hasn't done it. I think you know what's dangerous, too, about the future of this, and I'll kind of wrap up the, the segment with this thought. Jo- what, what happened with Josh Allen is really dangerous for the, for the future of quarterback evaluation. Yes. And, and immediately right now. Um, because what happened with Josh Allen is a guy who was taken, and when, when Buffalo took him, look, a lot of people said, I don't know what you're doing there. He doesn't have the production. He's got the physical tools, but it, it's not there. And then they, those people, that when Josh Allen plays rookie season, they were like, see what I told you? He doesn't have it. Like, it's, it's obvious. Look how bad he is. Coaching matters. And then he got, and then he fixed it. And that's possible, but that's not likely to happen every time those situations arise. But now NFL GMs and coaches and everything saw Josh Allen, and they see Will Levis, and they see Anthony Richardson, and they go, Josh Allen. But what you should be saying is, what about all the guys who didn't make that next leap with their accuracy? What about the guys like Josh Rosen, who never took that next step? And so I think that's going to be interesting to see. I think I wonder how long we go on this, you know, potential he'll fix it when he gets there type model. Always. And Anthony, well, and Anthony Richardson might be a big kind of um, pendulum. Like if he really is as bad as people thought he could be, it will always be there because it's always been there. The Raiders took Jamarcus Russell, who was not even projected to be a first-round draft pick until he had a good performance in the Sugar Bowl and he could throw 60 yards from his knees. Like, it's there's always going to be a team that's going to do that. This has always been the case for quarterbacks. Go back 30 years. It's always been there. Always. Right. But how many guys now do we prop up from that level that are maybe at that middle-tier level, but we go, well, the, the elite traits are there. And then how many times do we take the Bryce Young guy instead? Who doesn't have the elite measurables but has everything? Like, where does that balance fall? I just think it's fascinating. And like, we'll this continue. Year, we'll Bryce continue that taken. point. We'll continue that point after this timeout. I have some thoughts. Dawson brought the goods today. My man's delivering. That's coming up next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and Company on On the the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Quickly to the conversation that we had previously. It's never going to change, D'Lo, because we always go through this, right? And we go, the guys pop up that went to smaller schools or played in smaller conferences. Don't forget Andre Ware went to Houston. He was a first round, high first round draft pick. So it's always happened, right? Uh, Ryan Leaf was at Washington State. Even though they're in the Pac-12, they weren't necessarily world beaters. Okay, not not a necessarily a program, but people went, hey, 
So it always happens. The problem is, is also the reverse of that. The excuse against Stinson Bennett is, well, he played on the best team. Yeah, but he, he played on the best team. And there's been great quarterbacks, more heralded quarterbacks that have come through the universe, uh, have come through Georgia that never even got to sniff a national title. No, and it's it's so you still got to make the throws. I kind of got a little bit off off on my point. Like what I originally wanted to say also is I just I think people you have to and and I do it too. You use like what the national media and what the what the rankings, what the experts tell you, and it, it changes your opinions as well. But I would love to do an exercise. I don't think it's really feasibly possible where I just watched quarterbacks and made my own thoughts and had my own rankings without any opinions from anyone else, just watched film and had my top 10 quarterbacks and then see how different it would be. It would be wildly different. The other thought that I think about all the time is Deshaun Watson, and and that has an age recently, so I'm going back to when he's at Clemson, where it was like, this guy's the best player in college football or close to it, but everyone said, yeah, but he's not going to be great in the pros, and I always thought, like, what, what do they mean by that? And then it was, you he know, was great in the saw pros. him, yeah, and, and now he's still, it's not like he fell to the sixth round, but it's like, those types of thoughts, if, mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense. And you shared something with me, the talent evaluation on Patrick Mahomes, that he was a project. Right. That's what that's what was what was said by a lot of people. There we go. I think his head coach was a project, but that's a discussion for another day in college. <laughs> we got to take a timeout. Hour number two is done. Hour number three, Jay Walker will help us kick it off. The longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. That's next right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlo and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number three has arrived here in RP3 and company coming up in a half hour. Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour podcast will be joining us. He'll give his his thoughts on how the Saints fared with their draft and look ahead to see what else they need to do. Maybe address the tight end position and whatnot. That's all coming up half an hour from right now. Also, don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. It's the foodie poll question of the week with Cinco de Mayo being this Friday. We decided to go with your favorite Mexican or Tex-Mex dish. Right now, 49% of you say fajitas. 29% say tacos. We've had great recommendations on several different tacos. Dawson's very happy because the listeners have stepped up and let him know where he can get a specific taco. 12% say tamales. I love me some homemade tamales. And 10% say burritos. Keep those votes coming on our foodie poll question of the week, which is always our poll question of the day. On Wednesday. And leave those comments. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Let's not get sideways. It's a beautiful Wednesday. Right now, though, it's time for us to talk Louisiana Raging Cajuns with the man who's been the longtime voice of the Cajuns, our good friend Jay Walker, joins us now. Jay Good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm I'm doing fine, and my answer to the poll question is all of the above. There we go. That's my man. 
That's the right answer, Jay. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, bud, let's get right to it. Baseball team. They let one get away from them, didn't they, on Sunday? They could have taken two or three from the best team in the Sunbelt Conference and just kind of let it slip away. Is, is that how it feels for you as the man who's on the call? No. I um, I don't think they let one get away. I think somebody came and took one from them. And I think there's a difference between the two. Um, if you let one get away, it means to me that you did something that let the other team win. In this particular case, guy stepped up, hit a home run with two out in the ninth inning, and then somebody robbed you of a home run. You know, you know when that happens, you tip your cap. You go shake their hand and say, hey, great game. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say this. I don't know how many games I've done on the radio, uh, Cajun baseball games. I'm going to say between 16 and 1,700. Um, one of the top 10 games, I mean, the, the, the result notwithstanding, one of the top 10 games maybe that I've seen and, and called. And as losses go, it's probably one of the top two or three gut punches. Uh, it was it was a real hard loss, I think, for everybody to get over. But I'm just going to congratulate Coastal on a great game three. This team has lost five of six Sunbelt series. What ails them, Jay? Well, consistency on the bump, you know, consistency and now injuries on the bump. Um, you know, this team, I think, for the most part now, is going out swinging the bat the way that Matt Diggs wants to see it. Um, they certainly did it for, for most of the Coastal Series. And, and again, I'm going to give Coastal credit because that, uh, that big buffalo that they got in the bullpen there on Sunday is about as good as it gets in our league. Um and defensively, they've been superb all year, but they have not been consistent pitching. They have they have not had the best depth pitching, and now their depth is really being questioned because you got you know three guys that were going to be a very important part of your pitching staff who uh, who aren't uh, available, and that takes your depth, which wasn't great, and diminishes it even more. And my dogs don't like it. Uh, the dogs are upset, Jay. The dogs are upset. They're upset. Dogs are upset. Well, Jay, so when, yeah, when, I think that's it. When when Coach Deggs introduced the idea that the pitching staff was going to kind of be game to game and and um, by committee, I, I kind of hesitated. But honestly, in seeing the way that they handled it and the fact that you know, if a guy does have it going, they're going to let him go, which is what they did with Christie. I, I kind of like this approach, and I don't think it's it's as drastic maybe as it sounded when he originally pitched it. Do you kind of agree with that? Yeah, I do. Um, and and you know, now he's uh, he said he's shifting it again, and of course, you know, that's with with the the three injured pitchers in mind. He said now that from now on he's going to treat uh, every game like it was a tournament game, and he's going to do whatever he has to win game one of a series, and then he'll decide what to do for game two and then decide what to do for game three. Um, You're just in a situation now where you need wins, okay? And you've got two very tough series coming up the final two weekends. And so he's just going to treat it of, of, you know, what do I have to do to win today? And and, and I think he's going to coach accordingly from here on out. Another thing that I've kind of noticed that 
is, is certainly a positive from the Coastal Series is I feel like the lineup, now that you have John Taylor at, back at the second base spot with Kyle DeBarge in there and the emergence of Connor Higgs, I actually think the lineup's as deep as it's been all year. Do you think the lineup is good enough to maybe overcome some of those pitching issues over these last this last month or so of the season? Absolutely. Um, you know, you've got... Now, not everybody is completely healthy. You know, DeBarge is still not 100%. Rockford hasn't been 100% all year. Uh, Vayon's not 100%. But you've got the guys now in the lineup that you want because Marshock and Vayon have really elevated the eight and nine spots in the lineup. You know, he's gone out with the, he went out with the same lineup five games in a row last week. That maybe hasn't happened since he's been a head coach anywhere and by his own admission. So it's pretty obvious that he likes the lineup that he has. I don't think he'll be afraid to make a change if somebody goes cold, but I think uh, I'll be surprised on Friday when we go to Monroe if I don't see that exact same lineup. We're talking with Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. He joins us here on RP3 and Company as we talk all things Vermilion and White. You know, you mentioned they're kind of just taking this mindset of one game at a time, Jay, because as crazy as it sounds, and even though they've lost five of six series, the logjam that is the Sunbelt Conference baseball standings there's barely any difference between the number three team and the number 11 team. So as it stands right now, Matt Deggs' squad could miss the conference tournament or they could be a top six seed or they could be the number three seed, depending on what happens the rest of the way. What does the mindset need to be for this team? Because they can still accomplish many of their goals. They can still get a top four seed for the conference tournament, but they can't play around against like ULM and others. Well, you know, I think that their, their mindset's going to be win today. Um, and, you know, I think if you win today, then you, you look forward um, to tomorrow. You know, I, look, the, the, the doom and gloom is not coming from that locker room and from, the, and from the coaching staff. You know, the doom and gloom is, is, is coming from, you know, some frustrated fans, and I get that. But, you know, all you've got, look, you've, you just said it. You could be a top three seed. You could be a top six seed, which means you don't have to play in the first round. You could be seven through ten, which means you've got to play on Tuesday. Or you could finish eleventh and miss the, the all together. But I don't think they're I don't think they're thinking about that stuff about oh gee we may miss the tournament. I, I don't think that team's thinking about that at all. I think this team is going to, is, is thinking about first of all finishing finals, and then going up and taking care of their business. This weekend uh, in Monroe, one game at a time. And then you look at the final two series, which are going to be good series, going to be competitive series, and see what you can get done there. But you're right, man. This, this, man, this, this thing's been crazy this year. When you look at the standings right now and how things have shaken out. And, um, you know, we'll see. You know, it looks like Coastal's in good shape. Uh, looks like Southern Miss is in pretty good shape. And even starting to look like Georgia Southern is in good shape for that third spot. Um, but, man, after that, whoo, it's going to be fun. It's absolutely wide open. Let's talk about this weekend's games. Look, the Warhawks are not only on the struggle bus, they are driving it off a cliff. That said, 
This is a team that gave up 35 runs in a game last weekend, Jay. And the week before, they gave up 25 in a single game. On paper, the Cajuns should be able to go up there and mop the floor with the Warhawks. But I know Deggs is not going to allow his team to think that. They're going to take that one-game-at-a-time approach. And I think people are talking about 35 and 25. Here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a one-run lead with two outs and nobody on in the ninth inning at Georgia Southern last Friday. All right, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not worried about 35. I'm worried about on Friday night, they had Georgia Southern beat. They issued a walk, they kicked the ground ball, and then um, Langford hit a three-run walk-off homer to beat them. They never recovered. They gave up 35 on Saturday, 15 on Sunday. Correct. This team's very capable of beating you, especially with Cam Barlow on Friday. Because Barlow, while I don't think he's an upper echelon-like top-five pitcher in the league, he's going to keep him in the game. And um, we, we saw that they were good enough to put themselves on the precipice of winning that game. So, you know, if everybody's attitude, oh, they gave up 35, we're going to score 50, think again. And besides, you're going to Monroe, and it's the Cajuns that they're playing. So I, you know, I I don't think you can look at very much about what went bad in Statesboro, which they had to bust to, by the way. Um, Gross. And and just pro- project that to what's going to happen at Lou Santa Field this weekend. I think that's a dangerous thing to do. Jay, we'll get you out of here with one about the basketball team. We've all kind of been expecting maybe a big man to be added in the portal, and it's still very early. But Coach Marlin added a guard yesterday from East Mississippi in Blake Butler. Um, what do you think uh, of his expectations coming in? And I'm, I'm sure Coach Marlin's not done with the portal or at least with recruiting. No, I don't think he's done either. Um, you know, I think they needed a guy with a little experience at the guard position. Um, they've signed three um, high school guards who I think they really like, but they needed, they need some experience with, uh, with Greg Williams and, and Jalen Dalcourt uh, being seniors. So I, I think that was a, a necessity for them. Uh, I still don't know uh, if it's going to be a pickup uh, through the portal or through junior college, but but coach Marlin has said, you know, we need a, we need an experienced big man to go along with um, the guys that they have right now. And, we still don't know what's going to happen with the biggest big man of all, but um, I, no, they're not done, and they are going to have to address uh, the need for for a big man or two, uh, depending on what happens. Well, and lastly, also wanted to mention Trey Amos enters the transfer portal at the cornerback spot. Um, it's certainly a tough time to lose one of your best corners. How do you think Coach Desmo and the uh, Cajun team responds to that loss? Well, you know, Des is going to respond the way. Des always responds, and that's we're going to get another guy ready. Um, you know, Coach Desermo really believes in development. You know, if you notice, the Cajuns don't do much with the transfer portal, and that's by design. Um, he, he believes that if you spend too much time in the portal, you're recruiting somebody else's problems, and he's right. Um, and in a mid-major, when you're, when you're a team that relies a lot on chemistry, you can't afford that. So they've been developing the guys who are going to start. They've also been developing the backups. And and I'm sure that while that's a loss, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm sure that he, they're, they're just going to go out and get another guy ready. 
because that's that's what they've been doing. All right, Jay, appreciate your time as always. Thank you for coming on, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me. Go Cajuns. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You know the number. 2-4-9-5-6-7-8. I can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? No need to be embarrassed. Just call us at 337-706-0111. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, the poll question of the day on a Wednesday is always our foodie poll question of the week. With Cinco de Mayo being this week, what's your favorite Mexican dish? 50% of you say fajitas, 28% say tacos, 13% say tamales, and 9% say burritos. I'm going to be bold here. Fajitas would be fourth on that list for me. Delo's shaking his head. He can't believe what I just said. Can't believe the hot take, the fire take I just delivered on the air. Yeah, that's oh, it's I too mean, much work. It's too much work. It's very, it's it's it. Well, but if I order in a restaurant, I don't do any of the work. Yeah, you do. You have to put the meat onto the the thing. I, I, where, where where are you getting fajitas where they're already pre made oh, for you? Oh my goodness, we're talking about putting meat on a tortilla. I, work now? It's work. I got to construct it. I got to wait for the skillet to to not be so hot where I burn the flesh off of my hands. Well, usually you don't touch the skillet, and that kind of solves that problem. <laughs> Sometimes the waiter or the waitress forgets to Look, tell you as this. as Kevin Foote would say, it's okay to be wrong. You can have your opinion and it be wrong. That's fine. Oh, oh, oh. I'll oh, say D-Lo. this one thing, and this is, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call this a hot take, but like when it comes to flour tortillas or corn tortillas, any anything other than a hard shell, uh, whether it's a burrito, a quesadilla, or a taco, anything, I want it grilled. I want that crispiness with a little bit of oil at the bottom of the pan or maybe a little butter. I want that crispy. It just adds so much to it. Like there your, it is. That's my only problem with like you know burrito places that just make your classic burrito. Like I want that thing. And some places do have the grill press where they'll press it for you. They'll take care of you. Yeah, they'll take it care of you. Depends on the establishment. It does depend on the establishment. There, that, there you go. There you go. Man says I'm wrong. Man says he loves fajitas over everything else. I, I, it's not as hot of a take because all of the other three options are very good options. Usually we have a couple of bad options on the right. poll question. They're all delicious. Yeah. They're all things I can't have. By the way, when I, today, for my mid-morning snack, a delicious low-carly uh, yogurt, and then for lunch will be a wedge salad with some fat-free dressing, that will not taste as good as any of the options for the foodie poll question of the week. Just going to go ahead and say that now. Let's get to some comments. Ralph says the legend that is John Daly once placed an Uber Eats order for $446.10 worth of Taco Bell during a bender. <laughs> and he shared a picture with a quote of John Daly. You can't pull fat. That's why I'm never injured. <laughs> John Daly's a treasure. You didn't get to meet him when you went down to Zerk, right? You didn't get to cross paths with the, John. Unfortunately, his time at the tournament had passed because he did not make the cut, and I didn't make <laughs> yeah. it on Friday. But Duvall was worse than he was. 
Yes. Now, that, that's stunning that's to me. That's a former world number one, is it not? Yes, it was. I remember when they were like, oh, he's a rival of Tiger. Mm, bump the brakes. B-Rad says other chicken enchiladas, specifically the old El Paso enchiladas kit. Add extra cheese and extra sauce, Mexican rice on the side. I do love me some enchiladas. That's one of the things where you wish you had more options on the poll question. Because, man, a lot of times I get the enchilada plate now. Ooh, when you get the different ones with the different sauces, watch out now. Darren says shrimp enchiladas. JPK, the OD, is giving you recommendations constantly. He's now tagging you. You guys are now going to be BFFs when it comes to food. So there you go. Are no, you, I'm, I'm, I'm excited that uh, – <laughs> and, and look, by the way, you were talking about, you know, cheating on the diet or whatever about the Berea tacos. I mean, how about a Cinco de Mayo celebration for the, for the cheat day? I mean, I think that's a worthy cause, right, oh. on Friday? Here's Wait till the, Friday? Here's the problem. I love your idea. Problem. Every single Mexican restaurant or food truck is going to be swarming with people who just want to get drunk on margaritas, and it's going to make my wait time be way too much on Friday. Way too much. Okay? My brother used to work in a Mexican restaurant. No. I avoid Mexican or Tex-Mex restaurants on Cinco de Mayo. I avoid them like the plague because that's way too many people and way too many drunk people for me to deal with. It's, I'll tell you what. It's on a Friday, too, this year. Oh. You're going to talk about a, a plan for people? <laughs> it's going to be absolutely maddening is what's going to happen there. Doug says, fajitas so packed with chicken and beef, onions, tomatoes, peppers, and guacamole, you can barely roll it. Mmm. There we go. By the way, Houdat Forever is shotting out a place on Moss Street that has the best tacos in town. Just saying. All the recommendations. This is why we do the foodie poll question of the week. Because you, the listener, loves it. You need it. You want it. 50% of you say fajitas. 28% say tacos. 13% say tamales. 9% say burritos. They're all delicious, and I can't have any of them. <laughs> I can't have a single one of them right now. Or as my wife texted me, that sounds amazing. Can't wait to go try that place. Not today. Uh, we're having salad for lunch and then turkey burgers on wheat rounds for dinner. I think I'm probably getting Barilla Tacos for lunch. <laughs> there it is. There's uh, there's my man. He's like, no, 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 this is what I'm doing. I'm going to do it. Over on the Facebook, Blaine says fajitas, steak, and chicken. And Edward says steak fajitas with large margaritas. I'll he tell you, this is a little caveat to the steak fajitas. I'm always a little hesitant to get the combination because I feel like sometimes they overdo the steak and I'm guessing it's maybe because they're cooking the chicken at the same time. I'm always kind of hesitant on that. If it's a if it's a restaurant I trust to cook the steak, then I'll go with the combination. Coming in off the top rope with the flying elbow via text message is the host of Footnotes, 9-11 weekdays here on the game, Kevin Foote. Simply says, quesadillas are the absolute worst. I'll let you react to Footsie's. No, I, that's just a that's just a comment that make that has no real weight and bearing to it. Because <laughs> what could possibly be wrong with a quesadilla in its truest form? You're talking about a protein, a delicious melt, a delicious melted cheese, 
and a, and a tortilla, which is, by the way, as I like it, by default, grilled and got some crisp on it. Kevin's not a big cheese guy. Well, there you go. He can be wrong. There it's okay, go. as he would tell us. <laughs> as he says, as he says all the time. Keep those comments coming. Good stuff there with the foodie poll question of the week. My man came in old school Mid-South wrestling off the top turnbuckle there with his comment via the text message. We got to take a timeout. When we return, though, here, oh, Saints draft. We're going to recap it with Andrew Juju of the Saints Half Hour podcast. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. I got tacos on the brain, tamales on the brain, enchiladas, Whew. burritos, fajitas, chips and salsa. Oh, man. That yogurt is not going to taste the same. <laughs> Just letting you know, that is not going to taste the same when I have that bad boy. A little after 9 o'clock this morning. Just going to let you know. Nope. 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 Oh, man. LSU avoids the midweek meltdown last night as they shut out Southeastern Louisiana. Get the mercy rule victory. Gavin Dugas, three hits as the Tigers roll right through that. They'll be headed over to the Plains to take on the Auburn Tigers this weekend. Three games set against the Tigers slash War Eagles slash Plainsmen. We'll have all three of those games for you this weekend right here on the game, by the way. Also, Houston Astros. They are on the opposite end of a shutout yesterday as the Giants blank them. They'll get back at it this afternoon. 1240 pregame begins. Astro launch. 110 will be first pitch live for Minute Maid Park. Giants, Strohs will have that game for you live as well later on this afternoon. But right now, it's time for us to talk New Orleans Saints with Andrew Jews of the Saints Happy Hour podcast. He joins us live now. Good morning, Andrew. How are you, brother? I'm doing great, Raymond. How are you? I'm doing good, bud. So uh, how do you feel now that you've had a couple days about the Saints draft. Do you think it was a good draft? Do you think it was a solid draft? Or are you upset about it? Have you lost sleep over it? Uh, no, I, I think it was a good draft. Look, I, I think it's important always to take into consideration where you're picking. And so at 29, you, you're obviously you're somewhat limited and the talent that you can bring in, it's not like you have a top 10 pick where you're maybe going to get a game-changing talent. Uh, this pick, and we'll start with the first pick at 29, I, I feel like Brian Bercy is just – he's a guy that – look, it reminds me a little bit of the Ryan Ramchick pick at 32, which happened several years ago. And 
Uh, the reason I say that is, you know, obviously, you get a guy that had an absolutely miserable year last year with his sister dying of cancer, and uh, he got an infection that caused him to be, to be hospitalized. And so he was never really able to live up to his full potential. This is a guy that was the number one overall prospect coming into college football uh, ahead of Young, who won the Heisman and was the first overall pick. So, um, you know, I, I think he's a guy that has a tremendous amount of talent, a very high ceiling, and I don't know that he's tapped into his full potential yet. And at 29, that's what you're going to get. You kind of have to make a decision when you pick at 29 between getting a supremely talented player that maybe didn't live up to the hype and college just in terms of on the field performance and and look I, I do think Brissy has had some really great moments in college football so he has shown that he can play at a high level but uh or you know maybe you get a guy that's been injured or you get a guy that was extremely productive but he doesn't have the measurables so uh that's what you're kind of looking at but I feel like this draft came to the Saints a little bit so when you look at the positions of need uh not trading up in the first three rounds and getting a defensive tackle defensive end a running back, three positions we've talked about continually on this show as spots that the Saints absolutely needed to fill in this draft. I feel like they did all three of those with very solid, competent players uh, without having to move up. And so I think that was maybe the silver lining of this draft was I feel like it really came to the Saints. They didn't have to move up and they were able to fill positions of need. You know, I agree with that point. They were patient. Um, I don't think they were absolutely in love with anyone that they were willing to mortgage the future for, and they just waited to see what could come to them. And I get Saints fans being fatigued by, oh, here's a defensive lineman that's been injured because they've dealt with Peyton Turner and Marcus Davenport. But, but my rebuttal to that is, Andrew, Davenport wasn't injured in college, and Peyton Turner wasn't injured in college. They've just been injured since they've been in the pros with the Saints. So I understand the fatigue and people kind of groaned and they're like, oh, here's an injured defensive lineman. But maybe it's the reverse. Yeah, maybe he was injured in college, but he'll be healthy in the pros. And you got a guy that you don't have to kind of rush out there. He can be part of a rotation, which Dennis Allen loves to do across the defensive line anyway. Well, listen, uh, you know, again, I, I compare the Ryan Ramchick pick, and he, he's absolutely a guy that was injured in college. The, the reason he fell so much, despite being what many people thought was the best tackle in the draft, was that there were some knee issues, which, which you know, obviously have affected him in the pros to some degree as well. But, look, I, I think we can all agree that Ryan Ramchick was a home run selection by the Saints. And so, uh, look, every player is different, and I think I would caution Saints fans to kind of uh, think of a causal link between a guy that plays the same position as someone else. These are different players. These are different bodies, different DNA. Uh, yes, they play the same position, but look, this is the sport. It's a violent sport. You're going to have injuries. That's part of the deal. Um, and, and it's not a matter of if, but when for most guys. And so, look, I think coming off the ACL, uh, Brissy obviously had to rebound from that. And he did. Uh, his issues last year were kind of more fluke things. Uh, last year he was healthy. Uh, obviously he had a lot of emotional distress, uh, with what was going on with his family. Uh, the infection thing was a fluke occurrence that I don't think it, you know, is something that necessarily easily replicates. So, uh, I, I think that's kind of a false comparison. And at the end of the day, the saints at 29, get a supreme, supremely talented football player with tons of potential 
And uh, you just have to hope, obviously, that he can stay consistently healthy. Look, uh, when I look at this whole class, and, and again, we know the Saints like to draft guys that are high on physical talent, that are fast, that are strong, with great measurables. And that's all these guys. They're all set up to succeed. And I think the success of this class will really be determined by how healthy they can stay. But when you look at Brissy and Isaiah Foskey in the second round and Kendra Miller, who was so productive at TCU, and, and Sal DeVere, the offensive lineman who grades out as, as a freak of nature, especially at guard, uh, and even the safety Howden in the fifth round and A.T. Perry, the receiver, I think these are all guys that can compete for spots if they can stay healthy. I want to talk about Foskey. Wildly productive at Notre Dame, 22 sacks in two seasons. Uh, great pass rusher. Um, I, I know sometimes we like to bag on Notre Dame and their players because that's just you know low-hanging fruit when it comes to sports fandom and sports talk. But when I look at the tape, this kid can play, man. And they got him in the second round, and I think that's a great addition for that front seven. Yeah, if you look at his RAS score, it's basically identical to Marcus Davenport. And uh, look, I, I think we can all criticize Davenport for the injuries and his lack of avail availability to get on the field. But I think we saw when he was healthy and he was playing how disruptive and devastating he could be to an offense. And Foskey has all those same skills. Uh, he is uh, very quick for his size. Uh, he's got tremendous size. He's got good height. He's got good power. He checks all the boxes physically. And on top of that, he was very productive at Notre Dame. Uh, I, I was surprised to see him fall to 40. I have to be honest. I mean, obviously, I you, you would see it happen in some mock drafts, but I remain skeptical because, look, I, I think pass rushers that produce in college at a big program uh, that have all the measurables, to me, he was a clear first-round pick. And I thought the Saints would maybe have a shot at him at 29. My understanding is that they were very – that he, he was in their cloud and they were very much considering him at that 29th overall pick. They end up going with Brissy, and I was surprised to see him fall to 40. And that was a situation where uh, I know Keon White and Foskey at that point were both available, and I, I, I kind of felt like in that moment, hey, pick one of these two guys, either one. You're helping your pass rush big time. And, look, I think on the other side of this, the Saints have really fixed their defensive line because that was an issue coming into the draft. And to get a defensive tackle, to get a defensive end that are now going to be able to compete, I think, potentially for starting roles. Because right now you have, uh, what, maybe Shepard and Saunders penciled in as your defensive tackles and Carl Granderson penciled in as your outside edge guy opposite Cam Jordan. So I, I think both of these guys are going to get a chance to be in the mix to compete, to start. And if anything else, it really helps depth. I love these two picks. And uh, I think when you add Miller in the third round, this draft was a home run for the Saints just in terms of where they were slotted and what they needed. Uh, I really think they did a great job with this draft. I like Miller, too. Uh, you'd like maybe if they got a running back that had more production catching the football because yeah. that's what they like to do. But this is a team that did not have a downhill runner last year, and you get one now in the young man from TCU. I agree with you. I like the fact that they just addressed depth. The kid out of Old Dominion, I think they're probably going to slide him into guard and maybe develop him and see if he can be one of the future guards that they have on the roster because it looks like the end is coming for both Ruiz and Pete in the next year or so. Let's talk about the, the big deal that they made was shipping Adam Troutman away. I, I've long said 
leading up to the draft process, the Saints, their front office, and their coaching staff believes they have their tight end number one in Jawan Johnson. I mean, it doesn't matter if the fans think that. They think that. They, it's the reason why they re-signed him. And he put up good numbers, like top 10 tight end numbers last year. Tell me, give me your thoughts on them trading Troutman away to Denver so they could get up to get another wide receiver. And what do you think they do at tight end now for backup purposes? Yeah, well, I, honestly, I felt like they needed a tight end going into the draft, and now they give one away. So uh, to me, that becomes a bigger position of need. I think on the other side of this draft, I look at the depth at tight end and linebacker. Those are probably the two spots where I still feel like it's a little bit of a shaky foundation. Uh, but I love Jawan Johnson. And look, I, Derek Carr has a history with Darren Waller and Foster Moreau of throwing to tight ends, being sex, su- successful with tight ends, and um, – I think helping develop tight ends. I mean, he was a big reason why Waller really grew into what he became. So I like this combination of Carr and Jawan Johnson, and I think this this will be a good evolution for Johnson. Uh, and look, you still have Taysom Hill, so the cupboard's not completely bare at tight end. But uh, my understanding is that they're still very interested in Foster Moreau. His prognosis with this cancer diagnosis is very, very good. Uh, they're hoping to maybe sign him at some point before the start of the season and putting him on maybe an NFL inactive list, shelving him, and then waiting for him to kind of come back and be ready to play. And maybe he can come back for the second half of the season. Uh, but obviously that would be a big signing and a big help to the Saints if he can come back healthy. Uh, and it would be a great story. So uh, obviously rooting for that, especially with him being a New Orleans guy going to Jesuit High School. But tight ends in need. And I was surprised to see them let Troutman go. Uh, look, there's no other way to put this uh, – while I am very high on the draft as a whole, Raymond, uh, they gave up four picks. And now they weren't high picks, uh, but they gave up four picks to move up to get Troutman. And, you know, they trade Troutman and a seventh-round pick to get a sixth-round pick and select A.T. Perry. So we talked about this on the podcast last night, but if you think collectively of what they gave up to get Troutman and then what they gave up to get A.T. Perry – A.T. Perry essentially cost them a fourth-round pick, two fifth-round picks, two sevenths, and Adam Troutman. But, Six but, players. But, but Andrew, you can't do Perry. that, though. You, you can't do that because, first of all, it's not fair to Perry because that, that's not his situation. Yeah. And here's the other thing. Sure. If Troutman asked for a trade, which reportedly he did, and he's not working out, you eventually have to cut bait. You can't stay in a toxic relationship with someone if it's not working out just because – you've invested so much money into it. Like I I, I, yeah. I understand that you traded up to get Troutman, but look, Adam Troutman didn't work out because Adam Troutman didn't work out. So do you keep him on the roster just to have a body on the roster for a guy who doesn't want to be there? I'd rather have a guy that wants to be on my roster than one that doesn't. Yeah, look, he he wasn't a productive player. It was a bust pick, and you know we'll see where he develops from here. Maybe in, in his stint in Denver, he's back with Sean Payton. Maybe that'll change things. Uh, but it just really didn't work out. It didn't happen with the Saints. He, he was basically handed the starting job at, two years ago, and it really didn't go well at all. Um, and he really had he really struggled with penalties. He really struggled with consistency catching the ball. He really couldn't separate from defenders. So, um, you know, the jury maybe is still out on him a little bit. But, yeah, it feels like a bust of a pick. And uh, what they traded up to get him – and, look, I, I think all your points are fair, but I think when you when you trade up and you pick a guy that high – and then to see him packaged with a seventh-round pick just to move up to get a sixth-round pick, uh, that, that, that's pennies on the dollar 
in return to to what they were hoping to get out of him. So yeah, but not know, every it's, it's pick a, works big, out though. About a big disappointment. Like it's a bigger disappointment if I, I don't know. I just you're focused on a third round draft pick, like that didn't oh, yeah. work I mean, out. No, look, he's, like he's a sunk cost. Yeah, he's a sunk cost. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. Look, you, you're not going to hit right. You're not going to win the lottery every time you bu- go buy a ticket. So. You know, it, it's always a crapshoot there, but I do like what they do. And yeah. and look, uh, the the kid out of Wake Forest, man, I, I I like what I see out of him, and he could be a very good player for the Saints. We'll have to see, brother. I'm up against a timeout. Thank you for your time, my friend. Glad to have you back on the airwaves. Enjoy your week. Same to you. Thanks so much, Raymond. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Jay Walker, a longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and Andrew Juge from the same Happy Hour podcast. I just, I just love Andrew. But just like in life, in personal relationships, romantic relationships, whether it's that or a work scenario or a business, if it's not working, it's not producing, you're not getting what you want out of it, you cut bait and move on yeah and and just to add a little thought to that like it's okay to talk about and to sit there and look at what you gave up in the long term and grand scheme of things and say wow look how bad that investment turned out like that's okay because that's how we avoid but what you can't have happen and what i feel like some people and i don't know if andrew specifically was but some people are suggesting is that you shouldn't have made the trade that you did because of how the investment didn't work out. And that's where I say you can't do that. You can't make your decisions based on how much you have invested in something. Correct. If it didn't work, you have to move on. But you it just, is okay to sit there and go, wow, that was a bad investment. Right. Which it was. That's it, fine. It was a bad investment. It didn't work out. You move on. Move on from Troutman. Breaking news. Uh, Leah Van of The Advocate. LSU pitcher Garrett Edwards is now officially out for the season. He underwent Tommy John surgery for the torn UCL last week. Edwards hadn't pitched since April 7th at South Carolina where he was pulled in the bottom of the fifth. Until that day, Edwards was one of the LSU's top relief pitchers. They thought maybe he could come back. Unfortunately, he is now done for the year. Tommy John, and he may not even be ready for next year. Final results of the poll question of the day. It's our foodie poll question of the week. What's your favorite Mexican dish? 50% of you say fajitas, 28% tacos, 12% tamales, and 10% burritos. Thanks to all who voted and all of you who commented on it. For the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlo, I'm Raymond Parts third, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.